Our sermon passage this morning is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So now our Father and our God, your people are gathered around your word, and we're praying, we're asking that you would speak to us. We're asking that you would show us Christ in this passage. We're asking that you would stir our minds and our hearts and our lives to to follow you, to walk with you, to trust you, to obey you, to serve you, to bear fruit for your glory. And Lord, we're eager not for those desires to burden us and overwhelm us, but for them to be freeing to us and healthy, and good, and right. So Father, your people are praying for you to speak. I'm asking for your help. Would you speak your truth to your people in such a way that we believe, that we're stirred to walk with you, and live for your glory, and that we bear much fruit? Lord, I pray this for everyone in this room. But particularly, Lord, I pray this for our church, that we would be a people captivated by Jesus, walking with Jesus, helping others to walk with Jesus, and bearing much fruit. Lord, help us do this and and, and call us in this direction. Today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. If you have not already, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Book of Hebrews chapter 12. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Hebrews. Next passage is where we are, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, which Ben just read for us. And our sermon this morning is entitled, Keep Going. Keep Going. Perhaps a better title would be, Keep Going with Jesus all the way to the end. So what the author of Hebrews is doing in this particular passage is he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to followers of Jesus. And what he's saying is, be diligent and active to keep walking with Jesus. So that's that's the main takeaway from this passage. Now what we're going to do in the next few minutes is we're going to look at it, consider it, think about it, And ask the Lord to shape us around this call to keep walking with Jesus. So to kind of put this passage in the right frame of mind, I actually want you to go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14. For by a single offering, 
Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so in many ways, this truth is shaping up the whole book of Hebrews, and in particular, shaping up the rest of chapter 10, all of chapter 11, and all of chapter 12. And here's what it says. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and lived and walked on the earth, by the single offering of His life on a cross, bearing the wrath of God for sin and rising again to bring the newness of life, by that single offering, Jesus has, past tense, perfected, past tense, for all time, those who are His. So the gospel of Jesus is that by a single offering of His life, He has in the past, perfected in the past, for all of the future, those who are His. And so I'm going to preach backward today. Usually pastors put this gospel invitation at the end, but I'm going to put it right here. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And that salvation comes once and for all at a great cost to Himself through the offering of His life on the cross and the resurrection that followed. So what this says is, we don't perform our way into God's blessing. We don't perform our way into the kingdom of God. We don't perform our way into the family of God. There is nothing we can do apart from Jesus to enter the family of God. So if you're here today exploring Christianity, if you're here today wondering what we believe, if you're here today wondering what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, if you're here today wondering what we were just celebrating in baptism, what we're celebrating is that Christ offered His life as a sacrifice for the sins of His people. And the work that He did some 2,000 years ago is done, it's unchanging, and it will never be changed. He's purchased His people forever. At least one person should say amen. Thank you. If I have to ask for it, I'm not ashamed. But there's this other piece of the, of the, the work of Jesus. See, so what, what the gospel says, what I just said, is that Jesus saves us as he finds us. We don't have to clean up. We don't have to look better. He saves us as he finds us. But the verse goes on. He's perfected for all time those who are being, present tense, sanctified, present Tense. And what this says is, He saves us as He finds us, but He doesn't leave us as He finds us. He takes us where He met us, and He moves us slowly and progressively to look more like Him and bear more fruit for His kingdom and His church and His glory. So the gospel says, come to Jesus as you are and be justified, be redeemed, be saved. And it also says, by the power of the Spirit, be progressively transformed every day that you're on this earth. Both are true. And so the end of chapter 10 and all of chapter 11 and all of chapter 12 are not written to those who are far from God saying, this is how you come to God. It's not written to those who are the enemies of God saying this is how you become a child of God. It's written to the children of God. And what he's saying is this is how you live as a follower of Jesus. 
Now, this is really important that we get our minds around this because this passage is going to tell us to do stuff. To do stuff. But the doing is not about earning God's love. It's about learning to walk in God's family. So, so here's a fear that I have about the church at large, perhaps about my own preaching, and perhaps about you. Is that we're so, we know that we can't earn salvation, and we would never want to say do works to earn God's love, so we're afraid to tell people to do anything. But the Bible says is those who have been redeemed, who have been made alive spiritually, who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, who belong to the church of God, who belong to the people of God, the Bible says, walk with God actively. Actively. And so this passage is a call to actively continue walking with Jesus. In the spirit of understanding that some of you really don't want to listen to me today, let me just give it to you right now. By the way, that doesn't offend me. That's just human nature. Some weeks I'm not sure I'd want to listen to me. Discipleship doesn't happen accidentally. Spiritual maturity doesn't happen accidentally. Moving from sin to righteousness doesn't happen accidentally. And God is not Harry Potter in the sky waving a wand and saying Guardium Levioso and moving people to be different. He uses means. And His means are His Word and His church and His people. And it's the activity of those who've been made alive following after Jesus, how He does His work. So there's two calls. If you're separated from God, if you're not a child of God, if you're not a Christian, if you reject the faith, if you reject Jesus, you cannot do anything to earn that. Come to Him in repentance and faith and He will deliver you. But if you're in Christ, the Bible says, walk with Christ. The Bible says, follow Christ. The Bible says, keep in step with the Spirit. And this passage is a clarion call for the people of God to be active in walking with Jesus. Now, I've told you that. Now, let's look at it and see if it actually says that. So back to chapter 12, verse 12. First point, if you want to take notes, is to the weary. To the weary. Now, I think the, the author begins this section by addressing the weary because he understands that everyone who's trying to walk with Jesus is ultimately weary in some way. Life in a fallen world is difficult, as we just shared during the baptism, life of walking with Jesus in a fallen world is even more difficult. And so hardship and suffering are real for all those who walk with Jesus. But some of you today, some of us, are in particular seasons of hardship and suffering. And this passage has a word for all of us. So let's look at verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's verses 12 and 13. So notice something. The author acknowledges that many of his hearers have drooping hands. That's so weak and tired that you can't even hold them up. He acknowledges that, that many of his hearers have weak knees. Meaning they're so tired you can barely... Stand up. Some of us yesterday went um, on a, 
an experience to understand um, the life of refugees in Nashville. And we literally stood on a concrete floor for a 90-minute presentation. And by the end, I don't know about everybody else in the group, but my knees were like, find a chair, bro. Like, it's time to sit down. Anybody else? Yeah, like it, was, it was like, my, like, I just felt, I felt this verse. I felt the word picture of weak knees. Like, they just need to sit. Make straight paths for your feet, which are not straight. So notice something here. The author acknowledges the hardship and the suffering of those whom he is speaking to, and he does not rebuke them for it. The author acknowledges the drooping hands and the weak knees and the crooked feet, the crooked paths for our feet, and he doesn't rebuke it. He doesn't say it's bad. So to the church, it's important to recognize that God doesn't shame us because of our weariness and our hardship and our suffering. God doesn't shame us because we're in a hard place. God doesn't shame us because we're weary. God doesn't shame us because we don't know if we can go another day. God doesn't shame us if we don't understand why things are so difficult. God doesn't shame us if we struggle with losing our job. God doesn't shame us if we struggle suffering for the cause of Christ. He doesn't shame those who are walking in weariness and hardship and suffering as they seek to walk with Him. So let's not shame those either. Now something that I don't understand. Now this is weird because I'm from the South. Like I'm a Southerner through and through. I like hush puppies and fried catfish as much as any of you. But in the Southern church world, we've created this ethos where we can't be honest about what's really going on. I just would say, be honest about it. I have drooping hands. I have weak knees. I don't see straight paths. God will meet us there. We don't have to pretend and we don't have to fake it. Now, as I've been close friends with people who've served a whole lot, I mean, suffered a whole lot, the reason people aren't honest about their suffering and their hardship is because we don't, know how to receive their honesty about their suffering and their hardship. Just a little side note, quoting Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30 at people who are suffering is not the way to go. You know what else is not the way to go? Using I'll pray for you as a platitude to get out of a conversation. Just stop and pray right there. Before the first service, I looked up here and saw two different people just praying off in the corner. And I was like, yeah, people are going to walk in and think we're weird, but I don't care. That's far better than I'll pray for you never doing it. Anyway, I'm sorry, I, I digress. But notice that the, the author of Hebrews is just owning the drooping hands. He's just owning the weak knees. He's just owning the crooked paths. And he's saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Now, so let's not be found doing what God will not do, and that is shaming those who are walking in weariness, hardship, and suffering. But there's another side of this coin, and I'm going to deliver this as gently as I can. To those of us who are going through weariness, hardship, and suffering, this passage says that doesn't have to define who we are. 
Because notice the imperative. Notice the exhortation. Lift your drooping hands. They're drooping. I'm tired. They won't do anything. Keep walking with Jesus. Just use them as you're able. Just use them as you're able. Strengthen your weak knees. But they're weak. I just need to lay on my my metaphorical bed and just sit here because my my knees are weak. He says, strengthen them. He says, use them. He says, as you're able, as feeble as it might be, keep going with Jesus. Make straight paths for your feet. They're crooked. I can't see the way forward. He says, as you're able, straighten them up and keep going with Jesus. He's saying, yeah, they're weak. Yeah, they're drooping. Yeah, they're crooked. But that doesn't have to define who we have to be. So he comes to this purpose statement at the end of verse 13. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So he taps into the medical metaphor and he says, do you know what happens if you sit down and don't walk for a year? Your legs atrophy and they won't walk. Do you know what happens if you quit using your hands for a year? All the muscles in your hands atrophy and they won't walk. So there's this invitation to keep moving forward with Jesus even in our hardship and our suffering because it is not God's desire that we stay lame. It's His desire that we walk with Him all the way to the end of this life and forevermore. Now I don't mean to be trite, but the image that I've had in my head all week is Forrest Gump. Is that too long ago? Nobody even knows the movie Forrest Gump? Well, before Forrest ran, he couldn't walk. And then they put these braces on his leg, and he tried to walk, and he struggled at it, and people made fun of him. But then one day, he started running. (laughs) And he ran all the way to the White House and to a national championship. And across America. It just doesn't add up. But, but the point is, Forest Circle four-year-old was never going to walk anywhere. But he started walking. And then the braces came off. And then he started running. And then he enjoyed running. And he just never quit running. And so I think about myself, and I think about you, and I think about our drooping hands and our weak knees and our crooked paths, and I think to myself... What if we just started walking with Jesus and before you knew it, we were walking fast and before you knew it, the the braces fell off and we were running and before you knew it, we enjoyed running and before you knew it, we couldn't quit running and we were just running with Jesus everywhere so much so that we enjoyed it and we didn't feel lame and weak and broken anymore. What if? I think that's the vision of this passage. So to the weary, don't let what is lame be put out of joint, but keep walking with Jesus so that it will be healed. Think what this passage is saying is that Jesus is going to minister to us and sanctify us as we walk with Him. So let's be found walking with Him. Second point, a call to action. A call to action. This passage calls Christians to be active in walking with Jesus. I kind of said everything a few minutes ago that I had to say right here, but hear this very clearly. The Bible says that apart from Jesus, as we walk in this world, we're dead in our sin, which means we can do no spiritual good in and of ourselves. 
So we preach the gospel to that deadness. We say, Jesus died for your deadness. Jesus died to forgive your deadness. Jesus died to forgive your sin, and he'll make you alive. But then Ephesians 2 says that when we come to Christ by faith, we've been made alive, and the Spirit lives within us. We're not dead anymore. But so often we try to do discipleship to dead people. Dead people can't do discipleship. Living people do discipleship. So discipleship's not an accident. Maturity's not an accident. Walking with Jesus is not an accident. Evangelism and mission are not accidents. Bearing fruit for the kingdom is never an accident. It is incumbent upon the children of God to walk with Jesus by faith in the Spirit to bear fruit. And that's what this passage says. So notice the activity of it. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. And then verse 4, which kind of summarizes all of it, Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Lift, strengthen, make straight paths, strive. So lift literally means lift. It means be active. Strengthen literally means make strong, use, utilize. Make straight paths literally means remove obstacles. Dads, think about it this way. Make straight paths means get Legos off the carpet so you don't step on them in the middle of the night. And something always gets an amen. But it's saying be active in that. Don't just sit on your bed and hope that God moves the Legos around. Wouldn't that be awesome? Sorry, that's not in the Bible at all. Dear Lord, please put other Legos where they belong. <laughs> and the trash, and the dirty dishes, and the dust. Anyway, sorry. That's not how it works. Make straight paths for your feet and strive. Do you know what strive means? It means to strive. It means to be active. It means to pursue. It means to long for. It means to work out. It means to engage with intensity. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so here's what is being said in verse 14. Christians strive for holiness. What's holiness? Holiness is the characteristic of being not human, not fallen, not weak, not sinful, not broken. Ultimately, God is holy because He is pure and righteous and without sin and lives forever and without error. And then the Scripture says that God sent His Son Jesus into the world and if we've seen Jesus, we've seen God. So Jesus is pure and holy and merciful and gracious and righteous and just and without sin. So God is holy. His Son is holy. And this passage says that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are called to strive to be like Him. We're called to look more like Jesus. So what this passage says is that we're called to pursue actively a life that looks more and more and more like Christ. That's in the Bible. Christians strive for holiness. So let's take it back to our beginning. God saves us as He finds us, but God moves us from where He finds us closer and closer to himself, right? What this passage says is that everyone who's been saved will be moved. Everyone who's been redeemed will become more like Christ. And we're called to walk with Jesus, 
Galatians 5 calls it keep in step with the Spirit to pursue a life that looks more like Jesus. It is the will of God that the people of God see it as our responsibility to actively walk with Jesus. That's the takeaway from this passage. This passage is calling you to exert energy, desire, intentionality, and focus on walking with Jesus in this world. Nothing of spiritual value happens by accident. Now we could also say nothing of spiritual value happens without the Lord. That's not what we're suggesting. But the Lord's Spirit is in us. We've been made alive. He is eager for us to pursue holiness. Now this would be a really good sermon if I stopped right here and I said, look, in your weariness, walk with Jesus and pursue holiness. But the passage doesn't stop there because Jesus didn't come to save individuals that could individually be pulled up into heaven, but he came to save individuals who are part of a body that's known as his church. And so the passage goes on to a third point, a call to action for others. And what this third point of this passage, the majority, frankly, of the words in this passage, they're not about me and Jesus. They're about you and Jesus. And they're about me wanting you to know Christ as much as I want to know Christ. They're about me wanting you to flourish with Jesus as much as I want to flourish from walking with Jesus. It's as if it's saying to us, hey, you're good, your family's good, you're walking by faith. Don't sit down and chill out. Look out and think about others. Look out and think about others. Let's see if I can say it this way. Um, so the men in my community group, we're putting together some ways that we're weak and we need to grow and we're sharing those. And so every time we meet, we talk about those things. So we're going to meet again next Sunday night. And let's just say that I'm doing really well and I'm walking with Christ and I'm meeting, I'm, I'm intentionally engaging in my faith and I'm growing as a disciple and I'm feeling good about things. But I get there and a couple of our brothers are weak, suffering, broken, walking in sin then this passage says I should leave there with just a heavy heart as if I'm the one who's weak and broken and hurting and walking in sin. Listen, just listen to the words. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. Verse 15, by the way, if you um, were a Greek scholar and you took two or three or four or ten semesters of seminary Greek, you would learn that strive for peace with everyone means strive for real peace with everyone. Everybody. Everybody. Now think about it. Think about the body. Who in this body do you not have peace with? This passage says that's a spiritual hindrance for both of you. There might need some conversations that need to happen this week. Second, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What that means is that no one fails to walk in the humility of repentance and belief walking with God. See to it that no one turns away from the Lord and is not found in His saving grace. Long for that for your brother as much as you long for it for anyone. Three, Again in verse 15, see that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. Now root of bitterness here does not mean bitterness between people. 
but it means a root of rebellion against God between a person and God. And so what it's saying is, see to it that no root of bitterness between you and God springs up in such a way that it causes trouble amongst the body and many others are defiled. See to it that no root of rebellion and hardness to God's Word and hardness to God's leadership springs up amongst the brethren. Fourth, see to it that no one is sexually immoral. Now again, if you were a Greek scholar, you would see that that means that no one is sexually immoral. We have kids in the room, so I'm not going to explain that. But you might wonder, how do we go from ruder bitterness to sexually immoral? Because from the beginning of time, humans have most frequently and most readily and most joyfully expressed our rebellion against God through sexual immorality. It's been always and everywhere. So people that look at what's going on in our culture today and say it's never been this bad, just read history. It's always been this bad. The difference is our access to the bad. You can't hide from it. So see to it that no one is sexually immoral. Meaning, let's talk about it. Let's call it down. Let's repent of it. Let's, let's, let's make our groups a place where people can confess and be prayed for and be helped and be healed because guilt and shame and fear don't motivate godliness in anyone. Fifth, see to it that no one is unholy like Esau. See to it that no one is unholy like Esau. Now, this one gets a little thorny and hard to interpret. Because it says, Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is a thorny one. It comes from Genesis 27. You, you can go read about it over lunch and have a great conversation with your family. I'm serious, you should. But the point is Esau was unholy. That is, Esau was not being moved to Christ-likeness or godliness and the things of God. Esau was rooted in what Esau wanted, and Esau was willing to sacrifice everything, including his place in God's plan, to get what he most wanted, a meal. And so he sold his place in God's plan to his brother for a meal. Now look, they were both scoundrels. They were both messing around way too much. But Esau sold his birthright for a meal, and then his father gave the birthright to his brother Jacob, and after it had happened and it was all said and done, Esau wanted it back, but there wasn't a chance for him to get it back. And so I think the takeaway here is see that no one is walking in continual unholiness like Esau was, because we never know What's going to happen in this life while we walk in our continual unholiness? But this passage gives a call to action that's bigger than me and Jesus. It's for the whole community. It's for the unity of the community. It says, I will strive for peace with everyone because Christ has loved me in such a marvelous way. I will long for others to walk with Jesus just as much as I long to walk with Jesus. I will see to it that no root of bitterness, no root of bitterness toward God springs up into rebellion that tears down the church. I will see to it that my brothers are walking in sexual purity for the glory of Jesus. And I will see to it that others are walking in the holiness 
without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 14, that's how this all ties together. This passage says, let us be found continually walking with Jesus. Let's keep going with Jesus all the way to the end. So, if you're sitting there going, that sounds great, but I don't know where to begin. I want to point you in two places. Verse 2 says, look to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What that tells us is that Jesus has already walked this path. He will walk every step of it with us all the way to the very end where he rules and reigns over everything. Look to Jesus to carry you and help you as you walk this path. I'm not saying walk to Jesus by yourself. I'm saying keep walking with him by faith. Take urgent, intentional action to walk with him. And second, if you don't know where to begin, look to the community. Because just as much as you're supposed to strive with peace for everyone, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, others are looking to you to strive for peace and see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Let it be our longing that together we are the ones walking with Jesus and bearing much fruit for His glory. So for you individually, in your weariness, I want you to walk with Jesus and invite others to do the same. For your families, I want you to walk with Jesus and invite others to do the same. And for our church, I want us to be the church that strives to walk with Jesus because of the great gift of salvation that He's given to us and strive together for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I want this to be our call to action. If you're here today, exploring our faith, exploring this church, exploring what it would look like to be a part of the body of Christ, here's the invitation. A God who knows everything about you still died for your sin and has a vision to make you holy and He will do it amongst the people that love you as Christ has loved them. That's the invitation. We invite you to this Jesus today. I'd love to talk with you today about walking with this Jesus. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words which have been spoken and you would work through them to point us to you, to your Son, to walk by your Spirit. We pray you would help us, Father. So congregation, at this time, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. This is a piece of bread symbolizing the body of Jesus broken for us and a cup symbolizing the blood of Jesus poured out for us. We take these as a declaration that we stand in Christ. We take these in hope that if we're in Christ, He is for us and never leave us or forsake us. We take these with great longing that we would be those who walk with Him and bear much fruit. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you to let the bread and the cup pass. 
Not because I want to exclude you, but because I don't want you to settle for a piece of bread and a little bit of juice. I want you to know the Savior in fullness who died for your sin. So some folks are going to come and pass out the bread and the cup. We'll sing together and I'll come back in just a few minutes and we'll take the bread and cup together.